Well, good morning. We've been looking over the last few weeks at parables and the way that Jesus teaches through parables as he wants to show people what life is like when he comes as king. And parables are a very interesting way of Jesus teaching. They're telling stories, stories that really pack quite a punch to them in a very particular way and are a way of people both seeing and not seeing so that some people get the point and some people don't get the point about what Jesus is saying. So before we just start to look at this parable, just remind ourselves of just one or two ways in which parables work. Uh, very quickly, firstly, often parables have just one main point. There's one main sort of punch to the parable, usually. So we'll explore what it might be. But secondly, parables work a bit in the way like jokes work which gives me an opportunity to tell a few jokes. Let's have the, the PowerPoint up. Uh, PowerPoints work in the way of jokes. In, um, well, I'm disappointed Jack isn't here this morning because I was going to ask him which of these swimming pools looks the most inviting uh, in hot weather to, um, to swim in. And, uh, of course, it's, it's a multi-pool choice question. Or sec- second, uh, second uh, picture, if you can have a second picture. Uh, it's a greeting card, you've probably seen this, where um, there's uh, somebody driving along in a car, and it says, once again, Andy's sat-nav was surprisingly accurate. And the person driving the car says, bear left. Yes, there's a bear on the left. Or next one, a uh, third and final one, in terms of the groans here. There's um, two, a picture of two bulls delicately managing their way in a shop, and the one shop assistant saying to him, I've got a very bad feeling about this, Harriet, uh, as these bulls manage things. Now, why jokes like parables? Well, because you need to understand something to understand the point of the joke. Uh, You need to understand in terms of bulls in china shops that there's a saying about bulls in china shops being very chaotic and smashing things. You need to understand in terms of the sat-nav that sat-navs often say they're left. You need to understand that often in PowerPoints there's multiple choice questions. And so it's a play on those ideas. But like with a lot of my jokes, if you have to explain it, it isn't quite as funny as if you get it in the first place. And that's how parables work as well. If you get it in the first place, it's a lot more powerful. And so, again, we're going to be looking at that as we look at this parable. And third quick point about parables as we look at this is that sometimes there's information you need to know that's really helpful to understand what people thought at the time. So if we just go on to our last slide, uh, this is a a famous painting uh, from the National Gallery and it's called The Ambassadors. And it's painted, I think, in the 1600s. And if you look at it, it looks like it's a painting about two very wealthy men. And it is a painting about two very wealthy men. And there's lots of scientific things on the, uh, the background to indicate their wisdom and all of their knowledge. But if you notice, there's a bit of a strange shape at the bottom. Do you see that at the bottom of the picture? There's a strange sort of slanty shape. And actually what that is, if you look at it from a certain angle, probably the sort of angle I'm at from it, it's actually a distorted skull shape. If you, you can look at it in the National Gallery, and actually you look at it from the right angle, it's, you alter the proportions, it's a skull. And the reason that's there in that picture 
is a reminder of people's mortality, that even though they're really wealthy, even though they're very, really, very clever, even though they've got everything the world can offer, actually it's a reminder that ultimately all of us must die. So if you know that about that picture, if you know that that's what that means, it changes the whole understanding, doesn't it, of the picture. It's no longer just a picture of wealth. It's a picture of being careful about not relying on wealth because at the end of the day we all have to give up everything we've got. So let's bear those things in mind about having a single point, about the punch of the story, about needing to understand certain things to to, to get into this parable. So it's a parable certainly about contrasts and the contrast couldn't be a lot more extreme. Uh, And it's about a rich man and a very poor man. The rich man, he is filthy rich. The uh, robes he wears are purple. And that's just not just a fashion choice. His, those robes would have been 30, 40 pounds to buy at a point where daily wages were four pence. So a hundred times the daily wage uh, to buy the types of clothes he's wearing. He is filthy rich. By contrast, the... Uh, other person in the story at his gate, Lazarus, is the lowest of the low. He's, he's ill, he's covered with sores. Even the dogs, and dogs have got a negative image at this time, are licking him. Even they're saying, oh, you're lower than us, mate. You're lower than us. And they are um, taking care of him. So it's a parable of real sort of tensions between the rich and the poor. And Lazarus is, uh, Lazarus is suffering at this man's gate. And the rich man is really living it up. Every day, it says, he lives in luxury. Every day, there's, there's feasts. Every day, there's, there's banqueting. And so, this is a parable that we see straight away as one of, of tensions. And it's in, a par- it's in a section in the Bible that talks about money. Uh, Earlier in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 16, it's talked about people can't serve both God and money. It says that in verse 13. And that upset the Pharisees, who it says in verse 14, loved money. But I don't think the main point of this parable is actually about it's wrong to be rich or it's wrong to have money. As we start to explore what it's about, maybe I want to suggest that the point of this parable is about, or part of it is about, being lulled into a false sense of security. Of this person thinking that because they're rich, because they've got all these worldly things, they're okay, and they can forget both God and they can forget other people. Lazarus, in the parable, it's quite interesting, I think Lazarus is the only person, the only name, that appears in one of Jesus' parables. I don't think anybody else is named in one of Jesus' parables. And Lazarus actually comes from the word Eleazar, which means God is my hope. So his name means somebody that actually hopes and trusts in God. But where, where does the rich man trust not, not in God. He, uh, he trusts in his luxury, trusts in all the nice things he's got. 
And the sense of the parable is that that leads him away then from both God and then from other people. That he, if he feasts every day, he's got to be breaking the religious law. He can't feast every day and be keeping the religious law. So he's, he's kind of going away from God. But he's also going away from the, the kingdom values, the things that matter to God. He's, he's not only breaking the letter of the law, he's breaking the whole spirit of the law. Uh, I don't know whether we imagine in this parable that this chap's got such a big house that his, his gate is sort of 100 miles away from where the house is. But we were talking about this at house group on, uh, on, on Tuesday and somebody said about sort of, well, he'd be tripping over Lazarus. Every time he goes out of the gate, he's tripping over him. But he kind of, he misses that. Somehow he misses what's there. And it could be like, I guess it can be like us, can't it, where... We go out in a city, we go out in Stafford, and there are, there are people there, like on the floor, they're begging, whatever, but somehow they, they blend into the background. Somehow we don't see them. Somehow we don't notice. And the tragedy of this is not that, not that the rich man's being actively nasty or bitter towards this person. The tragedy of this is he is being indifferent. He doesn't notice. He doesn't register him. He doesn't come onto his radar. And how different that is, how different that is from the kingdom values that Jesus has been talking about. And they're shown in uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, where, as as Alison's been telling us, there are these parables about how how the kingdom works, how Jesus' kingdom works when uh, people are lost. So it shows us that the story of the, 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 the lady who loses a coin out of a headdress. Is she indifferent? Absolutely not. She turns the whole house upside down to find what's lost. Then there's a the story of the shepherd who, lo- who loses one of his sheep. Does he say, well, that's it, just one of them's gone? That, that's no, he goes, he goes out to the dangerous, the risky places. He goes out to wherever's needed to find those who are lost. Or the third parable, one of the most well-known ones, where the son is lost to his father, goes out to a foreign land. Does, does the father say, I'm not bothered about him anymore? No, he's looking out each day. He's looking out each day so that when he sees him in the distance, he goes out and he runs. Because that's what kingdom love is like. It's not indifferent, it's looking out, it's looking out in love, it's looking out to those who are lost, and it is of concern. That's what kingdom values are like. And this rich man has been sucked in to his wealth. It happens to be wealth in this case, but he's been sucked in. And he's indifferent both to God and he's indifferent too to, to then the people around him who God is concerned about. I don't think it's just a parable about money. It's money in this instance, but it could be we're sucked into money, we're sucked into our good looks, if we've got good looks, if we're sucked into our cleverness, our intellectual ability, our jobs, or whatever else, whatever else it could be. We're sucked into these things and we become indifferent to God. We become indifferent to those whose God's kingdom is concerned about. Well, in cinematic terms, there's now a major scene change in this parable because uh, the luxury of what's been happening for the rich man in his life is now 
totally reversed in terms of both uh, the rich man and Lazarus die. And what happens now is that uh, the roles are reversed. The, the rich man dies, he's buried, and he goes to hell. He goes to Hades where he's tormented. And Lazarus goes to the side of, of Father Abraham. Now, this is one of the things we need to understand about uh, from the time, that these types of role reversal stories where people have had a good time in life and then they, they suffer in the eternal life or vice versa, were, I think, quite common, I'd read quite common in Jewish times in this time. But what were quite common in those stories were that when people said, uh, can I send somebody back to give a warning, the person would say, of course, yeah, of course you can go back and give a warning. And again, as far as I pick up in, in Jewish thought, somebody coming back from the dead to give a warning was seen as a major, major thing. If you've ever seen the, the film, it's quite a lot of years now, the film Fiddler on the Roof, which is about a Jewish community. And there's a scene in that where the uh, central character, Tevye, is warned by his, uh, his grandmother, Zeichel, who returns from, from the dead, to say that his marriage isn't a good idea. And it's a terrifying idea. If somebody returns from the dead to give a message, that's something that needs to be taken with the utmost seriousness. And so that's what this man says here. If you, can, can Lazarus come and, uh, come and help me? Can he come, come and sort of like dip his finger in water and come and help me? No, says Abraham. No, there is a great gulf fixed. That can't happen. So twist number one. Twist number two then. Can, can uh, Lazarus go back and warn my family? No, says Abraham. No. And that's the, that's the kind of the twist here, I think. This was what was unusual in this story compared to other stories of this day. You can't go back and give any warning. And why can't, why, why can't he? Abraham says, well, they've got Moses and the prophets. They've, your brothers have got Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Moses and the prophets have been talking about all these values, all these values about uh, concern for the people, about reliance on God. That's what the, the Old Testament's about in terms of God's covenant love. So they've got all that. The rich man says, well, of course they're not going to believe that. They're not going to listen to that, that religious stuff. And so Abraham says, well, if they're not going to listen to that, actually they wouldn't listen even if somebody were to come back from the dead, even if they were to have this major, major thing happen. I remember many years back at the Green hearing one of the pastors speaking and he said that in his pastoral experience people would often say to him um, oh, if only so and so had happened if only I was able to get married if only I was able to get this job if only um, I, I don't know I was able to emigrate how different things would be how different things would be and then I'd be able to believe in God if I was well again, if I had this perfect relationship, if, if this thing were to happen, then, then I believe, then I believe. And he said in his pastoral experience that wasn't true. It often wasn't true, that sort of even if that thing were to happen, the people wouldn't actually believe. 
They're saying, in this parable it says, well, if somebody were to come back from the dead, I'd believe. But in John's Gospel, it talks about somebody called Lazarus coming back from the dead. And do the people believe? Is that what it says at the end of the parable, that they all believe and say, yeah, this is the most... No. What they do is go and plot to kill Jesus. So even if this happens, they don't believe. You've already got enough, says Abraham. You already know enough. And it's no use looking for these extra things, these these major things, because if, if you don't believe with what you've got, then you're not going to believe at all. And it's a real punch, isn't it, to the Pharisees who are listening. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, Jesus says they won't listen, they won't be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Is Jesus just talking about Lazarus there? Or is he talking about himself coming back from the dead and people still not believing? So it's a parable about people being sucked in, I think, to worldly values, being sucked in, becoming indifferent, not listening to what's happening and not not listening even if there was uh, the strongest of messages there. So just in, in finishing, I just want to pick out maybe three things that are real challenges for, for us as we listen to this parable. Challenge number one is that um, am I becoming, am, am I the person God wants me to be? How we live matters. How, we, how this man lives matters to God. Whether he's living in terms of kingdom values whether he's he's putting God first, whether he's putting other people first. That matters to God. It matters. It makes a difference how he's living. It makes a difference what his character is. I don't know what I expected to to learn at Bible College quite in terms of, of things, but one of the things that has been impressed on me the most strongly by by Morelands is about the importance of character the importance of who you are and who we all are in terms of the way that we live, having integrity and the importance of being who God wants us to be and living our our lives in that way. So I think this parable is about that, not being indifferent, but being the person God wants us to be. I think secondly, second challenge, it's about whether our priorities are in the right place. Are we living out the values that, uh, of God's kingdom that Jesus demonstrates? Jesus isn't showing us new things, in a sense. He's kind of fulfilling stuff, but he's, he's showing us things that have been there before, about trusting in God, putting others first, helping the needy, all the things that the law and the prophets have, have spoken about. But I say this man's become indifferent. He's become sucked in. He's become sucked in. I've probably told you a story before about when I worked at Solihull very briefly uh, for a few months. The uh, John Lewis shop was just opposite, Touchwood Centre was just opposite the offices. I have to be very careful about John Lewis because there's all these lovely, nice things in John Lewis. And I could get very attracted to all these lovely, nice things in John Lewis that are very, very tempting to, to buy. But I know that my security isn't there really 
there's a phrase, I don't know where it comes from, that somebody saw lots of nice material things as I. It's things like this that make it difficult to die. But Stephen was telling us last week, wasn't it, that there's a challenge about where we put our security. And he was telling us, wasn't he, about that man that builds all the barns and says, I get bigger barns, I get bigger barns, I get bigger barns, I put all my trust here. And then God says to him, you fool. You fool. Because tonight you surrender your life and where has any of that got you? Are we investing in what is actually the most important? Are we avoiding the, the temptations, the sucking in? Um, which, yeah, are we avoiding that? So, oh, where are our priorities? Are we, are we living life in the way that God wants us to? But also, are we taking the urgency of the gospel seriously? This is my final point here. This is obviously serious stuff, isn't it? The gospel talks time and time again about people in their lives having opportunity after opportunity to come to God, to come to know him. But this parable is a stark reminder that there comes a point, and this this is the point, where there are no more chances. That's it. There, There are no more chances. And that we shouldn't presume on God's grace. We shouldn't think, well, we've always got another chance. We've always got... um, We've always got um, uh, God going to let us off off the hook, as it were. That there's an urgency for us about responding to to what God says, about coming to him, about accepting him as our Lord and Saviour. And there's an urgency about telling other people too about that. We can't put that off until some time in the future. But we need to do it now. (laughs) We need to do it now. Because we can't rely on having other opportunities. So it's a powerful parable, a parable that really packs a punch. How how do we respond to that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you show us uh, by your life, by your teaching, uh, what it's like when you are king. You show us your kingdom values. Lord, help us to come to you, help us to live by those values, help us to accept you as our Lord and our Saviour and our King. Help us to tell other people about you, Lord, uh, with an urgency. Help us to be the people you want us to be. Help us to put first the things you want us to put first. In Jesus' name, Amen.